America had another bomb in production when Japan surrendered on August 15, 1945. What happened to that Third Corps? We're going critical this week in footnoting history. Hi, I'm Kirsty, and welcome to this week's edition of Footnoting History. This week, we're going to be talking about the Demon Corps, which was the third corps created by the United States in case Japan did not surrender following the, the disasters at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. The third corps was a 6.2 kilogram delta phase plutonium bomb corps. Now, that means that it's a lot like the Fat Man that was dropped on Nagasaki on August 9th. Compared to the little boy that was dropped on Hiroshima, it's a more complex design. The initial bomb was uh, two parts, and the later bombs, the Fat Man and then the Demon Corps, were actually designed with three pieces. So there were two hemispheres and then a ring seated between them that was designed to reduce the possibility of premature detonation. Obviously, a lot of the design specifics are going to be classified and uh, highly technical, so we'll be speaking in a lot of generics at this point. Uh, Basically, the third bomb was, of course, to be used in case Japan did not surrender following the August 9th bombing of Nagasaki, and initial production began on August 13th. It was a very rushed job, and they actually opened a second lab in the room next door to the original location where the previous cores were made in order to complete it in time. Now, it wouldn't be ready for shipping until August 16th. Uh, it needed some final manufacturing to be done to it uh, for delivery as early as August 19th. Now, all of this is done, so initial casting was done on August 13th, but Truman had issued a stay on atomic weaponry on August 10th. In essence, this third core was America's insurance policy. Truman had already said that uh, atomic weaponry wasn't to be used without his express permission, and Japan actually surrendered on August 15th. The odds, then, of this core actually being used in war was relatively slim, even from the outset. And by the time it was completed, it just remained there in Los Alamos for further testing. Now, what that means is that this core was destined from the outset to help the Manhattan Project scientists refine the design of the atomic bomb. And that's essentially what they did. Now, one of the first people to deal with this particular core was a man by the name of Harry Doglian Jr. He was working on a critical mass experiment experiment on August 21st at approximately 9.55 in the evening. And what he was doing is he was experimenting with tamper designs for the core itself. Now, what tampers do is that they reflect the neutrons from the core back into it, and that makes it easier to reach critical mass. And so what these scientists were doing, they were arranging bricks of tungsten carbide around the core to determine what the best design of the tamper would be in final designs. It was a manual manipulation. They had bricks that they were just physically moving. And 
Harry Doglian noticed as he was lowering a brick in the fifth layer. He was about to place it in the middle, and he noticed that this placement would have sent the core super critical. And so he went to remove the brick from its location in the center, and he dropped it instead, and it hit square onto the center of the uh, unit. And he knocked it away with his bare right hand, and he reported later that he felt a tingling sensation when he did that and saw a blue glow. Now, incidentally, this blue glow is not actually a sign of radiation. What it is, it's essentially the same thing that you see in lightning. It is the atoms in the air reaching an excited state and then dropping back to their normal state. So essentially, it's a release of energy as the air cools a little bit. In the few seconds it took him to knock that brick off of the assembly and, in essence, save the rest of the scientists working there in Los Alamos, he was exposed to 510 rems of exposure. That's an estimation. Now, what that means is one rem is going to increase your chance of cancer by about 0.055%. A hundred rems leads to acute radiation syndrome. So he had a lethal dose of radiation. Despite that, it took him until the 15th of September, though his condition continued to deteriorate. The Times actually reported it as a chemical burn, and so he barely raised a uh, a blip on the national radar at that point. It wasn't until 2000 that a memorial was opened for him in his hometown of New London, Connecticut. Unfortunately, we didn't know a lot about radiation sickness at this particular point. He was one of the earliest uh, cases that we had outside of war, and so the treatment that he received at the hospital did not actually have anything to do with the underlying radiation. They treated the symptoms. So he essentially went through a slow system collapse, spreading from that hand into his vital organs, and um, it's really a very horrific and sad death to experience. This is only the first life that the Demon Corps claimed. This is how it gained its epithet. Now, this happened on August 21st. Now, the Corps itself was not actually produced until August 16th, so less than a week following its production, it had killed a man. The next incident happened exactly nine months later, on the 21st of May, 1946. That afternoon, Louis Sloten was demonstrating to uh, Alvin Seagraves how to perform the experiment known as tickling the dragon's tail. Now, what this was is they designed a beryllium tamper that was essentially a two-hemisphere sphere that fit around the core itself. In the top hemisphere, there was a hole for uh, a person's thumb, and he had his left thumb in the hole, and then was raising and lowering the tamper carefully, using a screwdriver to prevent the halves from touching. Now, as far as I can tell here, what they were trying to do was to determine exactly how close the halves of the tamper could be without sending the core critical. 
what that would do is it would help them design bombs that were slightly smaller and so would be able to be carried by smaller aircraft. Slotin had performed this experiment repeatedly and was fond of doing it in front of an audience. And actually, Enrico Fermi told him at one point, hey, look, if you keep doing this, you're going to be dead within a year. And he was right. As he was demonstrating this experiment, the screwdriver slipped, the spheres came together, they saw the blue glow, there was actually a heat wave that could be felt rooms away, and Sloten knocked the hemisphere physically off of its seating. In the process, he exposed seven other people to radiation, including Graves, and uh, Graves was hospitalized for several weeks. Sloten died within nine days. Interestingly, Graves continued on and um, minimized the dangers of exposure to radiation. Um, he continued to be an active scientist there at Los Alamos for a number of years and uh, continued to argue that uh, the risks were real, but perhaps overstated for um, radiation exposure, which is interesting given this background. Sloten was widely regarded as a hero, having saved all of the other scientists there at Los Alamos from certain death by physically removing the hemisphere himself. That's potentially debatable. You could also argue that he placed them in danger to begin with. Um, but after this experiment went horribly awry and Sloten met a very tragic end, uh, they determined ways to perform these experiments remotely so that scientists could remain safely shielded. Within its first year, this Corps had killed two scientists, which, in all fairness, is a death toll much lower than its two predecessors. But it had earned a bit of a reputation. It gained the epithet the Demon Corps. It was a difficult piece to work with, and it, it seemed to be attracting accidents. That actually continued even to its demise. It was the first bomb dropped in the Operation Crossroads tests at the Bikini Atoll, in which more than 90 ships were crammed into a lagoon. The location had been selected for favorable winds, currents, weather, and it had a nice protected harbor, in other words, there wasn't a lot of environmental complications for the tests. It wasn't exactly a popular series of tests to begin with. It was opposed by the Los Alamos scientists largely because it was unnecessary. We had a lot of the data that would be drawn from continued testing. And animal rights activists really opposed the use of pigs, guinea pigs, goats, rats, mice and even uh, insect-infested grain to determine the uh, radiation effects on living flesh. But the tests did continue. They were delayed uh, for political reasons, but they went, uh, they went ahead on June 30th, and the Demon Corps was part of the Able Drop, the first drop of the series. The bomb it was housed in was named Gilda, named after a Rita Hayworth uh, role and movie. And it was dropped from an, a B-29 for an air detonation 520 feet over the fleet. Now, here's where things went awry. This core 
was so prone to accidents that it was probably unreasonable to expect everything to go well on that first drop. It fell about 1,500 to 2,000 feet off target. It only sank five ships, and the flight crew actually ended up being investigated for the error. They were cleared. It just didn't work out right. So it was just a random accident. The air detonation, though it had an impact on the environment, was relatively easy to clean up, and the Baker test could continue on schedule. The Baker test was a subsurface explosion, so it exploded under the water, and that had a devastating effect on the environment in and around the Bikini Atoll. It is still unoccupied. The natives attempted to move back at one point and were forced to evacuate again because of the radiation from the animals that they were consuming. Speaking of animals, there was actually one unexpected survivor from the initial test, a pig with the glamorous name of Pig 311. Pig 311 was found swimming in the lagoon after apparently being cast off of one of the affected ships from the ABLE test. Now, (laughs) she seemed to be perfectly fine. After a few years at the Naval Medical Research Institute, she was transferred to the Smithsonian Zoo in D.C., and she lived there until she died in 1950. Sort of a hero of the Operation Crossroads tests. It should be noted, though, that she did not have any piglets following that uh, incident, despite attempts to breed her. We might consider that a positive benefit. Um, Boars can be kind of nasty even without radiation mutations. But back to the demon core itself, it's interesting to note that this one atomic core could be manufactured with great urgency, then be involved in two separate tamper experiment accidents, and then in turn be used in one of the, well, the first peacetime test of nuclear weaponry. But you have to keep in mind that the types of experiments that they were doing, the manual manipulation of the tampers, were very likely to produce accidents at some point in time. And the nuclear arsenal of the United States was actually really small at the time. I mean, this was only the third core ever produced. So it had to be the site of many of the early experiments on the design and structure of the bombs themselves. So it's actually not that surprising that one core could cause two peacetime deaths before then going horribly off target in its final moments. To me, the surprising part of the story is the extent to which these scientists were willing to go, knowing the risks, to achieve the uh, information they needed. Both Doglian and Sloten knew that they were doomed within seconds of 
the actual accident occurring. Both men knew that what had happened had placed their lives in grave danger, and they knew that their future was going to be incredibly painful and likely fatal. And yet, they were willing to take that risk and perform the experiments to begin with. And above all, they were willing to take the steps necessary to protect their fellow colleagues from the dangers that they had brought on themselves. In a way, I suppose, that is the true definition of heroism. And in that respect, we should look at both men and honor the sacrifices that they made for both science and for their friends and colleagues around them. They were operating at the very edge of human understanding at the time, and they pushed beyond what most people would feel comfortable doing in order to advance our understanding of atomic weaponry, but also nuclear power in general. So was the demon core really cursed, or was it merely the object on which these scientists crashed? Let me know what you think feel free to leave a comment on footnotinghistory.com. On one hand, it was a device that claimed several lives just in the lab, and its demise in the Bikini Atoll was not exactly error-free either. On the other hand, it really had the lowest death toll of any atomic core up to that point. So, in fact, was it more of a saintly core? This has been Footnoting History. If you like the podcast, be sure to visit our website, footnotinghistory.com, where you can find links to further reading suggestions related to this week's episode, as well as a calendar of upcoming podcasts. You can also like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at History Footnote. Until next time, remember, the best stories are always in the footnotes. See you next week!